Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the SNC Adventures Talk It Out podcast. My name is Ryan, and today I'm joined by both Dr. David Bailey and Dr. Joel Mann, who are the faculty leaders for the Summer 2022 Global Seminar, A Brief History of the Brain in Spain. Thank you so much for sitting down to talk about your program today. Please go ahead and introduce yourselves. So I'm Dave Bailey. I'm the uh, Associate Provost Dean uh, for the Natural Sciences Division, um, also a professor of biology, and I teach for uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin, Green Bay. Awesome. Uh, Joel Mann, uh, I'm a professor of philosophy and director of the honors program here at the college. Um, and that's how we got into the global seminar gig is that the honors program was seminal many years ago and like really basically beginning uh, the whole global seminar idea and pioneering it as a concept. Um, and uh, here's the point at which we, at which we find ourselves. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for that, and thanks for being here. Um, let's get started. So for to start off, can you start us by telling um, the listeners about the Global Seminar you'll be, you'll be leading, uh, where and when you're going, uh, and the type of course credit the students can earn? Yeah, so um, uh, the travel portion of the course um, will take place June 12th through 26th um, in the summer of 2022. Um, we will be based in Madrid, in Spain, uh, with uh, trips to various other locales uh, in Spain. Uh, it's a two plus two course, which means that the four credits for the course will be spread out over the spring semester and the summer session. Uh, in the spring semester, um, we'll have a two credit course in the second half of the spring semester that prepares us for the trip. Um, mostly academic preparation. So really uh, uh, preparing us for the sort of work that we're going to do and the things that we're going to see and experience uh, in Spain. Um, the course is, is called A Brief History of the Brain, uh, the brain in Spain for short, we've been sort of calling it. It'll count for a Western tradition credit in the core curriculum and an advanced, an advanced core curriculum credit is that. Um, it's conceived as many of our honors courses are as uh, an interdisciplinary course. Interdisciplinary course. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Dr. Bailey comes from the natural sciences and biology, where his specialty is uh, uh, neuroscience. Um, and uh, one of my areas of focus in philosophy is ancient Greek philosophy, specifically the history of science, medicine, and biology in the ancient world. And so we're putting together essentially a course in the history of neuroanatomy, the sort of history of how we came to conceptualize and then experimentally sort of like validate this idea that the brain is essentially the seat of um, consciousness perception, all kinds of other fancy words that philosophers would throw like <laughs> yeah. rationality, et cetera. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, so like what topics will you be learning about while uh, you're over there? Well, um, so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a history of ideas course and a history of science course in a lot of ways, right? So how we, we you know, sort of as a, as a scientific uh, culture and community came to settle on this idea that the brain is where all these things are happening, right? Uh, the so-called uh, kephalocentric view. And then to be able to actually make progress in terms of the uh, precise anatomy of the brain and uh, physiology of the brain and the system 
um, how that evolved over you know thousands of years, essentially how that knowledge to until um, we got to this seminal moment, which is really where Dr. Bailey's going to take over, which we get to this seminal moment where we actually have sort of like a theory of neurons and like an understanding of what those are doing and how they put together. That was uh, developed by Ramon uh, Cajal, who was a Spanish Spanish scientist and biologist. Uh, turn over for Dr. Bailey. Yeah, and that, uh, that for me is one of the primary things that I'm interested in. So the neuroscience course that I teach, and I typically offer that during um, J term or May master, and it's being offered this J term. Uh, I do talk a, a little bit about the history of the field of neuroscience, and especially as it relates to localization of function. So how did we come to this understanding that this part of the brain does this and this part of the brain does this? So. Uh, as part of this course, um, both for the uh, pre-departure portion and uh, for when we are in Madrid, is to talk about a lot of those case studies and how we came to understand that there's a part in the brain toward the front and on the left side called Broca's area that's important for speech production. Uh, but then in the neuroscience course, and of course as a biologist, right, we're really interested in you know, living things and cells in particular. And what Santiago Ramon y Cajal did was really incredible, given the tools available uh, to him. And I put together a little brief history uh, of his work uh, for this. So his father actually apprenticed him to uh, a shoemaker and to a barber. And that's what his uh, father wanted him to do. But Cajal decided to, be, uh, to become an artist, given his passion for drawing. He enrolled in medical school and then eventually was drafted into the army uh, as a medical officer and dispatched uh, to Cuba. And when he returned to Spain, he was really sick. Um, he had mal malaria and tuberculosis. Um, and after he uh, got better, he became an auxiliary professor at a university in the northeastern part uh, of the country. And in 1877, he purchased his first microscope. And then after a stint in Barcelona, he was appointed to a position at the University of Madrid. So in 1887, uh, 10 years after he bought his microscope, a psychiatrist from another university who was really interested in histology, the study of uh, uh, tissues, uh, showed uh, Cajal uh, this type of staining called Golgi staining. It was developed by Camillo Golgi, an Italian uh, anatomist. This Golgi staining stains the entirety of neurons. And you can see uh, the branching of these cells and how really intricate and unique uh, they ultimately are. And so what Cajal did is he modified the technique a bit and began working on the study of many parts of the brain and sensory systems. Um, at the time, it was thought that, and Camilla Golgi was one of these individuals, that all cells in the brain were connected, that everything in the brain was continuous. And it was this uh, theory that Golgi put forward called the reticular theory. But Cajal's observations, and again, a lot of these through drawing, given his artistic interest, and this microscope, and this staining technique that another scientist uh, developed, uh, he was able to put forward the idea that the nervous system was made up of billions of individual elements. And his conclusion is kind of the modern basic principle of how the nervous system is organized. And he produced this thing called the neuron doctrine. 
which included not only how the nervous system is put together at this cellular level, but how the communication happened, which um, to me, given what was available to him, was just uh, really amazing. Uh, the story, too, between uh, Cahal and Golgi um, is great in that they did not get along um, uh, all that well. They both received the Nobel Prize in 1906 for their work uh, on the nervous system, but Golgi in his speech was still putting forward this idea of the reticular theory. And Cahal uh, noted, and this I think is one of the greatest quotes uh, in Smackdowns, not only just generally, but especially in science, that Golgi's ego, quote, was hermetically sealed and impermeable to the incessant changes taking place in the intellectual environment. And that I just think is fantastic. Um, so there is a book that we'll be working with uh, in the spring and uh, in Madrid called Beautiful Brain. It came out in the last couple of years. Um, it shows not only Cajal's artistic roots, um, but also talks through the science of everything he did. And you can see these really beautiful uh, drawings and drawings that happen to be housed uh, at the Cajal Institute in Madrid, which we intend uh, to visit. Um, this particular institute, uh, uh, originated as the Laboratory of Biological Investigations. It was funded in 1900 by uh, the order of King Alfonso XIII, and Cajal was its first director. Um, it preserves all of these things that Cajal used, including drawings, which before that book uh, weren't actually seen uh, outside of Spain. And there are 30,000 some uh, items in the Cajal legacy there, wow. uh, including uh, Everything again from a uh, photography archive to microscopes to what he was using to stain and just to see that and to be there, um, I think is going to be really really cool. That's awesome. That's uh, that's a lot to take in. But mm -hmm. uh, so going off of that, um, it sounds like you both have a ton of interest in um, these topics. Obviously, as uh, your careers and uh, whatnot. But what made you both interested in these programs, and why did you want to lead these global seminars? Well, I mean, I can give a little bit of a, a context um, as director of the honors program. Um, the way that we began offering global seminars years ago um, was out of consideration for our students in the honors program who were often sort of involved in very intensive courses of study. Um, so, um, we have a lot of students who are pre-med and bio and chem. We have a lot of students who are in education, right, and these sorts of things. Um, law and pre-law, we have a lot of students who um, uh, have sort of academic schedules that are, for lack of a better word, really jammed up and difficult to, to tinker with. That means it's really difficult for them to get away for an entire semester for a your sort of yeah. typical exchange program, right? Um, and yet, right, um, you know, these are the students who in a lot of ways are most interested in and who would really benefit and take off uh, with these experiences. And so the idea is that we really needed to figure out a vehicle by which we could get these students um, some kind of uh, study abroad experience that would work with their, with their academic um, careers, essentially. And so that's how the global sort of seminar idea was born. And then it grew from there. And the college started to, through the study abroad office, really started to invest um, 
in in that in that uh, sort of movement. And and here we are. Now we're to the point where, you know, um, whereas the honors program used to manage all of its global seminar stuff itself, right? Yeah. Now we we partner with um, uh, the study abroad office uh, to make these to make these work. Um, you know, and part of it is too. I mean, obviously, for Dr. Bailey and I, some of this is personally professional, professional in the sense that we have interests in these topics, right? I mean, um, this is essentially going to be an interdisciplinary, sort of like interesting, sort of historical fusion of neuroscience courses that he teaches, and history of medicine, and science courses that I teach. Um, and it just seemed like uh, this is a really interesting locus for that sort of interaction. Um, some of the stuff is serendipitous too. I mean, uh, Dr. Bailey and I sort of ended up um, representing the college in negotiations with a university in, in Spain about a semester-long exchange program. Um, but you know, while we were there, we sort of realized, oh, this is where Ramoni Cajal is doing stuff, this is where the Institute is. Um, wow, we could really put together an interesting course, like um, really focused on the history of the brain and neuroanatomy. Um, and, and that's sort of basically how it developed. Yeah. That's awesome. So for students that don't think that they can study abroad because of uh, like a lot right. of, you know, with honors, a lot of classes you have to take and um, more specifically, there's a stigma around the science um, students that they can't necessarily study abroad. Um, why do you why do you think that these students these students shouldn't pass up on pass up on this opportunity? I think overall, um, I mean, for all the students that I have advised uh, over the years, I encourage anyone to do this. Oh yeah. Um, I never had an opportunity to study abroad as an undergraduate. In fact. Um, when Dr. Mann and I went to Madrid in the years are blending together, this was 20, October 2019. 2019. Uh, that was the first time I'd been to Europe. Um, and it was a really, uh, really formative experience for me. And then again, as Dr. Mann mentioned to uh, now, you know, and something that I spend a couple of slides on in terms of R uh, Ramoni Cajal's work uh, to actually see what he used and where he did this and uh you know to talk in more depth about uh you know what was going on at the time uh in addition to being able to experience all these other things right um it's just a, a really cool thing to do yeah awesome so um going off that a little bit uh, what experience have you both had traveling to other countries where, where have you been well, I think Dr. Mann is Yeah, Dr. Mann has far more than I do. So again, the Madrid trip was uh, my first. Um, and then actually several months uh, after that, uh, I took my second trip uh, to Europe. Uh, I was actually chatting with my son about uh, the works of Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, I talk about Leonardo da Vinci in, in, in the neuroscience course. There are these uh, spaces in the brain that contain fluid. It's called cerebrospinal fluid, and they're known as the ventricles. And uh, as I trust we'll talk about in this, there was something known as the ventricular doctrine for the longest time, that there were these 
animal spirits within uh, the fluid in the brain that um, would move between muscles and cause muscle contraction and ultimately allow us to, to think and remember and, and uh, et cetera. Um, but how they thought they were put together wasn't really confirmed until uh, individuals like da Vinci did some really unique things. Like he injected molten wax into the ventricles in uh, the brain of cattle and then let the wax harden and then carved all around uh, that. And now we have this cast of what the ventricles actually look like. His drawings are incredible and they're at the Louvre. And uh, my son goes, hey, um, we should go there. And I said, that's actually a great idea. And so we went to, to Paris and went to the Louvre and they happened to have at the time uh, all of da Vinci's uh, drawings there, uh, the vast majority of them. Um, and then we spent several days in Paris and took a train uh, to Amsterdam. And uh, again, to go back to what I mentioned before, just a really great and unique uh, experience. That sounds awesome. Yeah, for me, so I grew up um, in the American Southwest, essentially, um, with a mother who was uh, nearly fluent in Spanish. Um, so um, throughout my childhood, I made fairly, not frequent, but regular trips to Mexico. Um, that continued through college years. Been to Canada and things like that. So, um, but it was really my the summer after my freshman year in college, I did a study abroad program to England, um, which was extremely formative and sort of life changing. But then after that, I was extremely poor and a graduate student, et cetera, for many, many years, um, and didn't really have the opportunity to get back abroad <clears throat> until I sort of finally was sort of firmly ensconced in, a, in an academic institution with a little bit of a research budget and a research program and things like that, um, at which point I was able to um, to really start to do some traveling um, related to my professional career and my research career. So um, uh, especially in the field in which I work, which is the history of medicine, um, a lot of that activity uh, is taking place, a lot of that research sort of activity is taking place in the um, European uh, continent and also the UK. Um, where sort of medical humanities and interest in sort of like bringing the humanities to bear on the history of medicine and all things sort of medical uh, and scientific is just much bigger than it is in the United States. So here it's just beginning to sort of um, really take off. And that's, that's the other reason I'm excited about this course because this is really something that in the United States is fairly unusual. And to be able to sort of pioneer this at St. Robert College puts us on the cutting edge of this sort of new movement academically. Um, but a lot of that work is being done in Europe. So I, I do, um, I've, I've had as a result um, uh, occasion to to visit Europe and other places for, for my research. So I've been to Greece a few times. I, the very first um, global seminar I led was to Greece uh, for my tragedy and philosophy course of honor students um, had a conference in Israel um, and various other places. Um, 
Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to take advantage of when I first got to St. Norbert College is um, uh, some of our connections to Asia, particularly the Philippines. Uh, we don't really have, we used to have a, a Philippine studies minor, uh, which we don't have anymore, but we had really strong academic connections to the Philippines, the University of the Philippines for quite some time, including a faculty exchange program. So I was actually able to teach in the Philippines for a semester. So we lived there for five or six months, which is really great. And so I parlayed that into another global seminar that goes to the Philippines to study sort of food ethics and coffee production and sort of the cultural and environmental uh, and ethical sort of ramifications of that. Um, and so, yeah, I find myself in a position now as honors director, one of the real pillars of the honors program was, uh, has always been the ability to offer these kinds of experiences to, to honors students um, as cheaply as possible, which we're really happy to be able to do again here. Um, uh, this course is, uh, with a preliminary, the preliminary cost um, layout, looks like we'll be able to offer it for about $2,400-$2,500 total program cost for students, which is uh, really low. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it's really a great deal. Um, which 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 we which we like. Um, we want to be able to to give as many students as possible the opportunity to do that. So, awesome, awesome. So, what are uh, some of your favorite spots that the students will have the opportunity uh, to visit during uh, the global seminar? Uh, so, as mentioned, uh, the Prado was amazing. The uh, museum. Um, there's. One uh, painting, well, a couple that stick with me, Goya's, was it Saturn eating uh, yeah. his child, something like that? Mm -hmm. And then uh, during, what, the Napoleonic Wars, there's a painting uh, of Goya's in which uh, some of the Spanish civilians are just being shot. And... Uh, it's at night and you can see the line uh, of civilians who are just waiting to walk up, up to the top of this uh, hill to be executed. I mean, just, uh, again, really powerful stuff. Um, the market is at the San Miguel uh, market where you can walk around and get... Uh, I, I went there probably four too many times. Um, and all of the different uh, uh, tapas and desserts and just you name it, it was uh, it was really quite uh, quite something. Yeah, I will say um, obviously some of the museums. There's three museums there uh, that are absolutely world class. Um, the Prado being one of them, um, but there's two others, including uh, the Spanish Museum of Modern Art, which is quite amazing. But um, yeah, to see you know some of the greatest works by the master painters of Spain uh, on one place is a really a, a life-changing experience. And I mean, uh, one place that we'll be going to, I don't want to just throw out this sort of long laundry list of things, but one of the places that I think is, is most um, sort of effect, affecting for me. Uh, and Dave and I didn't visit Toledo together, but we both separately visited Toledo. Uh, we'll be making a trip to Toledo. And students, of course, will 
have some free time and they'd be able to visit there again if they'd like. But uh, Toledo is just a train ride from Madrid and it's just this amazingly preserved medieval city, essentially. Um, and it really just transports you to another time. Awesome. Um, and uh, but there's a lot of stuff like that in Spain, right? Um, you know, there's there's some stuff that um, that uh, Dr. Bailey and I have not even ourselves seen that we're really excited about. So um, we're planning to go to, to visit Granada as well. And, you know, there's all kinds of amazing stuff from the medieval period where you when you had. Um, uh, uh, you had so much uh, interaction between the Muslim and Jewish and Christian cultures, right? Um, before you had sort of like, at some point, the Christian forces sweep down through Andalusia and sort of reclaim everything in the name of Christianity. You had this really thriving culture of all three um, sort of Abrahamic religions. Um, and uh, the so the vestiges of that, so for example, the Alhambra, um, are just amazing and just really um, uh, looking forward to learning more about that um, and, and introducing students to that. Um, so yeah, in addition to the science, right, there's so much art and history. Um, Spain is home to literally some of the greatest cathedrals in the world. And um, I think really underrated or sort of under appreciated um the cathedral uh, in toledo itself for example is i think I, I, i've been to a lot of churches in europe <laughs> yeah and uh i i was as impressed with that one probably more than any others it's really amazing really amazing stuff um and as you were saying that i just thought of that yes yeah. that was that was incredible yeah um, um and uh you know, did I mention the food? <laughs> the food in Spain is absolutely amazing. So I think um, that'll be a really nice opportunity for students to just sort of get absorbed in that kind of like food culture. Um, something that, you know, because I know a lot of students from Northeast Wisconsin, right? They don't have exposure to a lot of things, sometimes catch it the spicy. Um, but. <laughs> But I think this really provides an opportunity to uh, get acquainted with uh, the food of another culture that maybe seems sort of just sort of strange <laughs> enough that it will really push boundaries while also being sort of within the, within the can of, of familiarity. Um, so really looking forward to all of that. Yeah. yeah. So you started going into my next question already. Um, I think a lot of students want to know um, and are interested in different cultures um, about the countries that they're going to. But for specifically uh, Spain, um, what are you excited for about the, the culture and food? Um, you've mentioned it a little bit, but um, what should they look forward to? And what, what, what are your favorite dishes there? Well, how does one choose? <laughs> so much jamón. Um, if you like, if you like, yeah, pork, especially ham, <laughs> you're going to be in heaven. There's a chain, an actual chain called Museo de Jamón in Madrid and other places, which translates to Museum of Ham or Ham Museum. And there's literally one like every other block. Um, and that's just that particular chain. There's so much ham. And it is amazing. <laughs> and the story behind it, the they're only fed like walnuts from a specific 
possible. Yeah. Uh, so just some of the stories behind some of these as well. Um, other, uh, the churro, the late night churro was churros. So delicious. right, we have we're familiar in the United States mostly with uh, a kind of like sort of street dessert called churros that comes from Mexican culture. Uh, that itself derives from sort of Spanish traditions. Um, but the Spanish version is essentially this sort of like deep fried, swirly, like donut um, that then gets just sort of dipped or lathered in like really rich chocolate. Um, and uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, you know, not to mention the olives and the cheese uh, and the wine. Um, you know, some students might be familiar with the whole notion of tapas, right? Because that's sort of become trendier in the United States in the last decade or so. Spanish food has gotten a little bit more uh, familiar with this idea that um, you have lots of little plates and you go out with sort of friends and you have lots of little plates of different things that everybody's sort of eating from instead of having large courses, right? And so everyone's sort of drinking wine. It's quite good wine, as a matter of fact, um, with their little plates of cheese and olives and jamon and other things. Um, and it's it's really a very pleasant way and a very social way of, 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 of partaking, of getting your nourishment. Um, That's what makes that market yeah. so cool. So, um, Again, it's packed, uh, but there's plenty of you know standing room at a variety of tables uh, within and around uh, it, and you just go and buy some stuff and you come back, and you buy some stuff and you come back. They must have had two dozen different kinds of empanadas. I think I tried them all uh, <laughs> times two. Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, that was great, and then. Um, they really don't have dinner there until like nine or 10 o'clock at night, which <laughs> I right. continue to find to be really bizarre. Yeah. Um, and then everyone was at work <laughs> the morning or on the street. So <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, so culturally that was, uh, uh, that was something, uh, the Plaza de Mayor, uh, in the city center, um, uh, was really good. Uh, cool. We spent, uh, a uh, couple of evenings there and just to, to people watch and think about the history of the place and uh, enjoy some paella one night, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah, all the things. But yeah, uh, the, the food's amazing. Um, the timing of things of the, of the day is, is interesting. The workday starts a little later uh, and there's a, essentially a sort of siesta break midday for a couple of hours in the, in the afternoon. Everybody just stops working for a while and they go back to working and they work sort of into mid-evening right? and then sort of at that point at which people have their their evening meal so it's much later right so at earliest like eight o'clock I mean, as late as nine ten eleven um but it's a much different rhythm um some might say a more humane rhythm but it's definitely um it's definitely an interesting thing to try out uh, and um you know, culturally, other really interesting things, especially for students who uh, have studied Spanish or learned Spanish, one of the great things about Spain is that um, compared to other countries in Europe, um, the Spanish tend not to um, 
master English as just part of their normal course of study. Um, they, they do study it and they have some facility with it, uh, but not like other parts of Europe where it's essentially become a second language. Um, and um, so you often do find yourself, you know, needing to speak Spanish to get by. And the great thing about the Spanish is that by and large, they're very willing to help you and, and to be you know, so tolerant of where you're at in your Spanish development, right? Yeah. Um, in comparison to other countries in Europe where you go and you try to speak through a language, you don't do it perfectly, they'll just cut you off right away and start speaking English in Spain. You really will be able to practice your Spanish in a, in a substantive way. And it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I know um, you both uh, time sensitive. Um, we can wrap things up. Um, but for the last question, um, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to go on this trip. It sounds like a great time, super uh, formative, just life changing. Um, you both know so much about it. Uh, I wouldn't want to miss out. Um, but unfortunately, I cannot go on this trip. For students that are just on the edge, you know, maybe they want to go, maybe they don't. What's the last kick that you would uh, give them? I think for a global seminar like this, uh, for students who don't, for any of a variety of reasons, um, want to make a full semester commitment to study abroad just to get that experience uh, and to do it, um, that would be uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I would say, um, one thing that's really unique about this course, I mean, lots of other global seminars sort of do this on some, some level, but I think the scale to which we're sort of managing to achieve this with this course is, is pretty impressive. It's just, it's sort of got all the things, right? So like you have so many students who are interested in, in, in biology and medicine, um, and we've got substantive sort of biology, neuroscience course, it's also got some history and some philosophy involved, and it's sort of firing all cylinders there. So you get all the things from this liberal arts perspective. It's also got the trip to Spain, so it's got that. It's got the linguistic aspect for, you know, quite a few of our students who are, who are in the medical sciences are, are really interested in medical Spanish and developing those capacities because they're more and more required in the field these days. And so I just, I, one thing I really love about this course is that it really just sort of is as a fire on all cylinders and all those things. It's just like sort of like the archetypal liberal arts experience. Um, it's got the science, right? <laughs> it's, got, it's got the philosophy. It's got the cultural aspect. It's got the linguistic aspect. Um, you know, along the way, you're going to also learn a lot about art history and see some of the greatest things. It. It's got the food aspect. It's got the sort of religious history aspect. It's just got everything. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, in this course that really has the ability to sort of like make all the connections and tie it all together. So awesome. Well, that was awesome. Um, that's a wrap on today. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Bailey and Dr. Mann for being our guests this week and engaging in such an awesome discussion about, uh, their program for all students listening. Uh, remember that the deadline to apply for this global seminar is approaching really fast. Applications are due January 14th. See you next time.